Chapter 2 of the Shunzi is entitled Cultivating Oneself. And Shunzi in this chapter is going to talk about two aspects of this, how to cultivate oneself, as well as what ends are we cultivating ourselves for. So we have both of these elements in this chapter. The first part that he starts off with is correcting one's attitude regarding cultivating oneself. He says, when you observe goodness in others, then inspect yourself desirous of cultivating virtue. When you observe badness in others, then examine yourself fearful of discovering the badness. In other words, you're not cultivating yourself with the attitude that you are better than other people. So if you do see something bad in somebody else, use that and see whether you have the same problem at a fundamental basis. Nobody acts the exact same way, but people can make the same basic mistake. For example, if you're not thoughtful or respectful of other people, then maybe your way of doing that is to forget your uh, appointed times and somebody else's way of making that mistake is to not use respectful language. So that's what I mean by pay attention to yourself to see if you are doing the fundamental wrongdoing that somebody else is also engaging in except in a particularly different way. If you observe goodness in others, of course, you do not want to be jealous. You want to look at that and see, wow, I want to become like that. A lot of people become competitive. They have that spirit instead. And that is something that is long-term going to hinder your progress. So for example, imagine that there is somebody, he's a boxer and uh, he has an opponent and he sees that his opponent is doing something pretty well. Some people, they will dismiss that other opponent's strength and say, oh, he's nothing, he's not very good. That's not the correct attitude. And long term, such a boxer is not going to succeed. On the other hand, if you have somebody um, and he looks at the other person, even though he's an opponent to him or a rival to him, if he's doing something well, he's going to look at himself and think, oh, I want to be able to do that well myself. That's the correct attitude. Line 11 puts, states uh, a corollary to this idea. He loves goodness tirelessly and can receive admonitions and take heed. Even if he had no desire to improve, how could he avoid it? The petty man is the opposite. He is utterly disorderly, but hates for others to criticize him. He is utterly unworthy, but wishes for people to consider him worthy. And Shunzi continues, the idea here is that if you are truly sincere in cultivating your virtue, if you are truly earnest and you desire to be a better person, you're going to welcome any kind of criticism if it is valid. Sometimes the criticism is invalid and that you can ignore and it's 
not a bad thing to get annoyed at invalid criticism. But if it is valid criticism, it's like uh, the situation where you want to fix your car. Somebody comes by and says, "Oh, what you're going to, what you're doing isn't going to work." If you really want to fix your car, then you're going to see if this person has anything useful to offer in terms of advice. If so, if you're not making money very well these days, if you are struggling in advancing your career, and somebody comes by and says, "Oh, hey, you're not really doing the right thing here, the correct thing. There's a better way of doing it," then you would feel happy because you want to advance your career, you want to make more income. So if your reaction when somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, you have been dressing poorly all this time," "Hey, you are not very..." Uh, respectful to other people. If somebody comes along and gives you correct criticism, you should be abundantly happy. You should be overjoyed. You should, your eyes should open and see an opportunity there. So when people, if, if for example, I tell somebody,、uh, you know, if you wear these kinds of clothing, clothing like leggings or、uh, Bikinis. It's no better than going out in public in underwear or perhaps even body paint instead of actual clothes. If somebody points this out to you, rather than feeling embarrassed and perturbed and trying to avoid the sense of shame, rather than wallowing these negative feelings, what you should feel is, oh, this is an opportunity for me to improve myself. Somebody came to me and said. Oh, you should try to do something else, and it's going to help me get closer to my goal. I'm happy to hear the advice, and I know that I don't necessarily have to take it、uh, if it is not correct advice. So my reaction is going to be first: Can I trust this person? Person is this person correct in his advice? And if I determine that it is, then I can implement it. Your first reaction should be, "Oh, this is an opportunity, possibly to improve," not, "Oh, this person doesn't know what he's talking about," because you want to avoid feeling ashamed. On the next page, we have this mention of ritual. We'll have plenty of time to talk about Li there, but one of the benefits of Li is that it helps you control what is called Qi. Um, and that's listed among exertions of blood, chi, intention, and thought.、Uh, and here it might be worth talking about chi, what that means. Chi is very difficult to explain and define. And I would compare this to the word soul in the English language. If you hear somebody talk about the soul. You might not agree on the exact definition of the soul. For example, is the soul immortal? Is the soul something that is dependent upon the brain? Does the soul regard everything that is good, or can we talk about evil souls, etc.? There are many questions regarding that. But if I say the word soul, you mostly know what I am talking about, and that's how philosophers back then talked about chi. Now, it's not. Only a Confucian term, just like the、uh, word "soul" is not 
always necessarily a Christian term. Uh, we find people of any kind of philosophical background in in uh, East Asia talking about qi, or maybe in Korean is is called gi. But you can think of this as uh, essentially a kind of energy that is uh, is partially spiritual, partially physical in nature. So the ability to uh, carry on a fight even though your body is being worn out that has to do with your chi and you could expend your chi you can lose grasp over your chi uh, as you get older your chi naturally depletes overall so those are some ideas that are common to whenever a philosopher talks about chi and here Shunza is saying in your exertions of whatever, whatever we're talking about, blood, chi, intention, thought, if you accord them with li, they will be ordered and effective because one of the functions of li is that it can beautifully and effectively and therefore efficiently achieve moral results. Again, we'll talk about that into more depth uh, as we continue in the Shunzha and most of our discussion on ritual, of course, will be on that chapter 19 coming up later. All right, um, on line 59, we have a bunch of terms being defined. This is very important for philosophy, of course, in general, but it's also very important in Confucian philosophy because of what's called the rectification of names. Uh, in 13.3, the Analects Confucius talks about this, and so if you want to go listen to that lecture, if you want to have a strong grasp of the, what this means and why it's important and significant in the Confucian tradition, that's the lecture you want to go to. Now, we have a bunch of things defined here. Um, let's continue on, though, because uh, some of these terms will be useful throughout the text. You don't always have to look back here. It's just to clarify some of these uh, these terms. You know, for example, to injure a good person is called villainy. If you, some people simply injure the people around them, but to injure specifically a virtuous person, a good person, that's an act of a villain. So it really does depend on whom you hurt. Uh, well, anyways, there's a lot of these terms. You can go ahead and go through this on your own. And it's not too difficult to understand. Um, then we have this paragraph, the methods for controlling the chi and nourishing the heart. Um, you have harmonious, easy goodness, proper compliance, many different things to be able to control your chi, regulate your energy, and nourish your heart so that you don't run out of energy too quickly. You don't over, you don't exhaust yourself uh, into in a negative way. Um, but at the same time, you do have enough energy and you do have a strong heart to go forward with. So what you find here is that there's a balancing effort. For example, if you have too much humility or sluggishness, then you use lofty intentions. Um, on, the, on the other hand, the opposite of sluggishness or humility is hastiness 
boldness and you would restrain that with regulated movements in other words being very careful about how you move how you act what choices you make so you have um that's a reality about virtue is that uh, a lot of the problem is you're going too far into one direction maybe you're too bold or you're too timid maybe you are overthinking things or maybe you're not thinking enough so for example if you're too simple-minded or too um, what is called what he says scrupulously honest in other words uh, you wouldn't want to tell the truth to somebody who is who has bad intentions that's not righteous behavior in that case you're going to withhold the truth that's righteous behavior so if you have a problem with that if you're too honest uh, and it's leading you to unrighteous results then you want to make it suitable with Lee and music and enlighten it with reflection. Uh, so if, on the other hand, the opposite, if you, um, if you are overthinking, on line 80, Shinza says simplify it with easy goodness. In other words, uh, that's kind of a hard term to understand. Simplify it with easy goodness. It means to remind yourself of what is what is good, what is important, and that will keep you from thinking about it, this too much. You'll start to realize that you're wasting a lot of time thinking and you're creating a lot of apprehension and anxiety, and that's preventing you from enjoying what your life has to offer already. So there's many methods, and a teacher is somebody who will help you, help you uh, understand what direction to go. So what I do for my students is that I uh, recognize where they are short or they're going into excess, and then go uh, push them towards the right direction so that they have the appropriate uh, balance or the, the, the rightful mean, not necessarily exactly in the middle, but um, think about it as analogous to uh, trying to hit a bullseye if you're playing darts or if you're in, uh, engaged in archery there's this bullseye and you want to get right in the middle you don't want to be off somewhere you know too high is just as bad as too low so that's true for any of these virtues there's this uh, optimal point is not necessarily exactly in the middle, but uh, there is a such thing as going too far, being too generous, for example, uh, being uh, too courageous is another example. All right, so now we have uh, some priority sets starting with lines 95. So here we're talking uh, about not so much how to cultivate yourself but what we're cultivating for and there are some important lines here if one's intentions are cultivated one will disregard wealth and nobility wealth and nobility are external things wealth is materialistic nobility is refers to social status the petty persons are always obsessed with obtaining more money and more social status and this is why we have people 
trying to work hard to get a big salary and using that big salary they'll buy social status symbols such as expensive tesla cars and that is not the behavior of a person with cultivated intentions cultivated intentions is to be concerned for the way the dao and e morality and righteousness and if you can do that, you will take kings and dukes lightly, even people of great status. In other words, for today's version of it, you won't be too concerned. You won't be so impressed as some such and such person is a billionaire, a CEO, a president, etc. It is simply that one examines himself on the inside, and therefore external goods carry little weight with him. A saying goes, the junza makes things his servants. The petty man is servant to things. I really like this statement there. The petty person is servant to things. I always have to remind people that I do not want to be a servant to my possessions. Because what, what, what I've uh, dealt with before is uh, people insinuating that I should spend a lot more time working on my lawn or uh start projects like painting my uh, house it's not in disrepair it is not in a terribly bad condition it's some people have very fine lawns and they spend lots and lots of money constantly remodeling i have a neighbor who uh, for some time period for a span of three years practically every month there was some a lot of uh, significant amount of noise every day because they were uh, spending uh, something like $50,000 on remodeling the house just to look a little nicer. It was fine the way it is, but they wanted to have it look a little nicer. And this, all the stress, all the anxiety, all the money spent, all the energy, all the time spent on this sort of uh, relatively slight home improvement, that is to become a servant to your things. Some, I've seen people, they spend so much time uh, waxing and cleaning their car, making it all shiny and modifying it and um, modifying the engines and they get into uh, fights with their neighbors and their family over all the time they're spending on it or the, the noise that's making. They cannot even get along with other people because of all this dedication to their own cars. And that is another example of becoming a servant two things. Uh, who is serving who? Is it that the car is serving the owner or the owner is actually serving the car at that point? So this also includes money. Some people really slave away to accumulate to serve their bank account to get far more money than they truly need to be to sustain a sensible lifestyle based on the Dow. And so it makes sense why a person might struggle in order to keep a roof over his head and food in the, in the mouths of their children. That would make sense. But after a certain amount of money that you have gathered, what is the point? That's the question I would uh, ask of anybody who has billions of dollars. Why do you continue to work hard? At this point, wouldn't it make sense to cultivate your wisdom to understand what is truly valuable about human life, to cultivate your virtue? That's really a question that I would like to ask these persons. What are you getting out of this by running this major corporation at this point? It's uh, rather ridiculous. It's because 
they have become servants to things. Their priority is out of order. So the Junzi prioritizes the important things. He prioritizes the Tao. He prioritizes his virtue. He prioritizes E. And there are secondary things that, that support that. <clears throat> and so uh, you can pay attention to those to the extent that they are useful. Once they stop being useful, you are done with that because your intentions are on the way. That's your priority, the Tao. And that goes nicely into the next major point here, line 142. Shunzi is talking about a stopping point. Now, this has two aspects to it, the stopping point. First is the stopping point is where you want to be, and then you don't go beyond that. Um, so that the example here is what you debate about things. Back then, as with ancient Greece and as with uh, some thinkers in the Roman Empire, um, there were there are people or were people uh, and there are still these kinds of people today people who debate about essentially nonsense uh, they make arguments like a white horse is neither white nor a horse and they're using logical games they're playing logical games in order to uh, making make these conclusions now why are they doing that are they just being humorous are they just humoring people? Uh, I, to my understanding of history, um, and my understanding of how politics uh, usually are, it doesn't end there. It's not there to just simply make weird arguments for fun, like uh, a children's riddle. That's not the beginning, and that's not the end of it. It's merely the beginning. And what is going to happen is they're going to take these logical games and start to advance some very strange political arguments so that these people can go further, take more power and control where they shouldn't be for purposes that are petty. So, for example, today there are plenty of people playing games with logic and definitions, and it's gotten to the point where they're playing games with regards to the basic definitions of man, woman, male, and female. And it's not, you don't want to just get, you don't want to be stuck only at looking at that particular issue. You don't want to be stuck and think, oh, this is only regarding transgenderism and transgenderism only. There is a larger plan uh, being executed there where people are maybe what's going on is that people are being distracted by that issue while there's some really big economic changes happening and people are being distracted and not realizing oh there are some really tough times ahead uh, maybe what they're trying to do is they're trying to get different people to waste time and energy arguing with each other uh, and use this disunity to be able to create a new uh, structure of power. So there's some interesting things that could be going on, but we don't have to look too much into that. We don't have to, you don't have to understand uh, some sort of 
um, intentions of the people you don't, you know, you, the names of whom you don't know and so forth, it's enough to, to understand that the use of logic and reason is in pursuit of living a moral and noble and virtuous life. It is in the service of cultivating wisdom. And then once you have that, the logic does not need to be extended in order to make strange arguments like a white horse is not truly white, nor is it, nor is it a horse. So people back then, they were making some arguments um, along those lines. Okay, so that's what it means to have a stopping point. If your goal is at the top of the mountain, you keep walking until you reach the top of the mountain. You don't continue walking until you start declining downwards. And metaphorically, that works for attaining the highest virtue and the highest wisdom uh, and being a person of Ren and E and somebody who is capable of using Li to beautify his life. One once you become a sage, you do not have to go further than that because once you go further than that, it's like continue to walk after you're at the peak of the mountain. You're only lowering yourself. Another meaning of the stopping point is that once you have a goal in mind, it becomes much easier to understand that you can um, you are pursuing a reachable goal. In, in other words, it can be obtained. You're not, uh, you're not engaged in a Sisyphean, um, you're not like Sisyphus pushing the boulder up the, the hill only for it to see it uh, fall back. You're not trying to scoop out the ocean um, because once you scoop out that water, of course, it'll evaporate and it'll go return right back into the sea. That's not the situation. So if you have a stopping point, you know you have a goal, it's a real goal, and then you can look forward to uh, attaining your goal as slow as it might be for that day. So he says, going step by step without stopping. Even a lame turtle, a, you know, a, a turtle with a, um, uh, that's crippled can go a thousand li. If you piled up earth without seizing, then hills and mountains will majestically rise. So in other words, if, you know, a, a hill and a mountain is just a pile of dirt, right? So if you add a little bit every day, you can get to a hill. So Joseph says in line 164, even if a matter is small, if you do not work at it, it will not be completed. So you have to work at it every day. You can't take large breaks. So make it a habit of listening to these lectures every day. Okay. Uh, if you, so this says in line 170, if you lack the proper model, you will act recklessly. If you do have the proper, proper model, but you do not fix your intentions on the true meaning of the problem model, then you will act too rigidly. Why? Because understanding the principle is close to understanding the meaning, and understanding the meaning allows you to understand what is essential at an abstract level, and therefore you can apply it to different situations. So you might have the proper model, 
But if the situation changes radically, the exact same actions are not are no longer going to be the best. But the principle of it does not change. Let me give you an example. Um, if you think about the essential meaning, the true meaning of a marriage from the standpoint of the husband, it is to protect the wife, to have a sacred bond in terms of physical intimacy, in terms of sexual intimacy. And so sometimes it might make sense uh, for a woman to carry a gun, even though the proper model is that the man is the one who physically defends the wife. But if the situation is very unusual or abnormal, perhaps the woman should carry some kind of weapon for her own sake. Now, if you follow the proper model that the man is the one carrying the weapons, then, and you don't have the true meaning of the relation, then your uh, wife might be in physical danger. In that case, you are acting too rigidly. So if you rely on the proper model and you also deeply understand the categories, the categories has to do with distinctions, uh, what is like this, what isn't like this, only then can you act with comfortable mastery of it. In other words, you understand the true meaning, you understand where it applies, then you know how to apply it for any situation you encounter. Ritual is that by which to correct a person. The teacher is that by which to correct a practice of ritual. So ritual is great because it, it encompasses already morality as well as virtue. So if you abide by ritual, you can correct a person. But what about the practice of ritual? Can't you just watch a video, say on YouTube, and then follow it exactly? No, that's not what Shunzu means by the practice of ritual. The practice of ritual also is when to apply this ritual and how to adapt its little details. So you're not going to always shake hands with everybody that you meet. You certainly are not going to uh, embrace anybody who is a friend with a hug. Um, but you need to know how to adapt these to particular relationships and situations. Um, and Confucianism, uh, bracing is really just simply reserved for husband and wife. It's not something that you would, uh, you would do um, to simply a, a friend or an acquaintance. So the teacher is there to explain the meaning of the ritual as well as guide your application of Li to your everyday situation. So I've told my students for example, we have uh, lessons and um, you know, I need to explain to them how to begin the lesson with greeting, greeting properly and how to say farewell properly as appropriate for a student to a teacher. That is the guidance, the application, because they could all agree that it's important for a student to respect the teacher, but they might not know how to do that in different situations. So that's what it means to correct a was practice of ritual, is to know, help them understand how to apply it based on its essential and true meaning.
The next paragraph is talking about uh, young persons, and of course that makes sense in the context of this chapter of cultivating oneself. Good use are honest, scrupulous, properly compliant. Um, they can, if if he has uh, a keen mind, a love of learning and talents, uh, and so forth, he can become a true gentleman, a true virtuous person. Uh, on the other hand, if he's lazy and cowardly, if he only cares for food and drink, if he's shameless, he's a bad youth. If he has a fierce disobedience and dangerous villainous lack of respect for elders, including their elder brothers, he can be, he can be called an inauspicious youth and may even fall to suffer capital punishments. Um, you know what's very interesting is that a study came out relatively recently that showed that uh, persons who are bullies in elementary school uh, tend to become criminals later in life. They're more likely. So it's not something that they simply grow out of. I guess that's something we can consider to be an inauspicious youth. Uh, in other words, a young person that has a bad fortune waiting for him throughout his life. So how they are when they're young, that's very important, actually. Uh, that's not to make everybody a... Uh, completely obedient puppet you know they you should always teach people to think for themselves but open rebellion for its own sake these are dangerous characteristics to allow and when you see this in young adults young men people who their very actions are very rebellious they blast loud music in their neighborhood they have very loud cars they tattoo themselves even their foreheads, uh, they t tattoo curse words on their body. Um, these are all very destructive behaviors. This is not simple individualism, ex uh, individualism or self-expression as an individual there. Um, now, you need to be respectful, you need to uh, practice kindness. Uh, that's the next paragraph. Um, let's look, but you know, some of this is not uh, unique insights to Confucian thought. Uh, let's go look at line 212. In seeking profit, the Junza acts with restraint. Remember, Junza is a virtuous person, the nobleman, the gentleman. Um, even if living in poverty, the Junza's intentions are grand. Uh, even if he lives in ease and luxury, his blood and chi are not lazy. In other words, his energy is not lazy. The Junza retains grand intentions even in poverty because he exalts Ren. Ren is what's no most noble about humanity. And so even if he doesn't have money, he doesn't think, oh, I just need to make money and I'm just going to do that for the next 10 or 30 years. He has great intentions. He wants to improve society. He wants to make society harmonious. He wants to have good relationships with his family. He has the grand intentions of somebody who can be king and prime minister. He might not ever have that status. He might not ever have that power. But his heart is somebody who is... Um, of that grandness. Uh, you could make him king, you could make him prime minister and he will do well in that role because that's the kind of heart and mind and soul he has. So we have this quote at the end, 
Do not create new likes. Follow the king's way. Do not create new dislikes on the king's path. Stay. This is a reminder from the docu book of documents. That's a, a kind of a history book uh, with some commentary on it. Um, the idea is, is, we'll talk about this later, but the idea here is that you have this Tao. That's the king's way. And don't create new likes. In other words, you already have things that you desire as a human being that you cannot truly get rid of. And that's discussed in the human nature uh, chapter here. We'll discuss why there are, um, you know, some of these desires, one of the solutions is to simply stop having the desires. And uh, I discussed there that this is not really something that's actually possible uh, without destroying what's also good about yourself um, or what's enjoyable about life. So you can't simply tell yourself, I'll never be sad again, because that means also in order to do that, you'll never also be happy again. You'll never be joyful again. So do not create new likes. Do not create new dislikes. In other words, don't start teaching people to hate their husbands. Don't start teaching people to hate the uh, one entire gender. Don't do those things. Do not create new likes either. Do not start to get people to live their lives for, say, video games. Do not get people to uh, start identifying in some uh, odd way that does not actually make them happy. That's the key here. A lot of these things that are these so-called new likes won't actually truly make you happy on a fundamental level. What will make you happy in a fundamental level, another word for that can be fulfillment. What can fulfill you as a person, as a human being, is not going to be something that has to do with some sort of category that has been established in the last 100 years. It's going to be some things that are very fundamental, having children, being happily married, having good relationships with your parents. Those things are what fundamentally make you happy, give you joy, and fulfill you as a human being. Do not create new likes beyond those fundamental things. Um, so it's a reminder here in terms of cultivating ourselves, don't go into some wayward nonsense direction Stick to the Tao. This is how you can fulfill yourself fundamentally as a human being. This is how you can be the happiest um, out of all possible, all possible worlds, out of all possible decisions that could lead you into various places. The Tao is that path to the top of that mountain of happiness. So Part of this is mentioned here in line at the end of this chapter in line 232. This is saying that through avoidance of prejudice and through E, again, morality, righteousness, justice, the Junza overcomes capricious personal desires. That's not the only meaning to this part of the documents, but Shunza is bringing this four-line stanza out here in order to tell you that you want to avoid what are called capricious personal desires, in other words, biases uh, that will hinder your pursuit of what is righteous. So, for example, 
where we have nepotism, people putting their uh, you know, friends and family into positions of authority and responsibility, uh, not because they have talent or ability, but because they simply are close to you. This would be an example of that. So we have in the uh, footnote on this page um, that these avoidance of prejudice is a translation of the word gong, which is a virtue opposite to prejudice in favor of oneself. In other words, selfishness or others, one-sidedness. In other words, siding with uh, your political party, for example. Um, it combines both. Uh, so in, instead, one should be public spirited and impartial. So here, this is a reminder, do not um, be uh, biased um, and let that bias interfere in your pursuit of what is right, what is moral, what is righteous, what is e. Um, and so that's just how the uh, translator um, here understands this last statement. So overall, how do you want to cultivate yourself? Uh, in this chapter, we have the ideas uh, of using ritual, finding a teacher, listening to those who criticize you and seeing whether there's some validity to what they say, um, and coming to a stopping point and working on it every day. And this is in addition to the, uh, studying the classics, which was mentioned in the previous chapter, chapter one. And then furthermore, um, for what are you cultivating yourself? You're cultivating self towards more virtue, not for social status, not for materialistic pursuits, but you're trying to become more virtuous, more righteous, a better person. And those things will actually be, as Shizu will explain in later chapters, what will make you happy to obtain um, a state of great goodness, of noble humanity, of virtue, of righteousness, uh, to live a life of beauty, those things are what's going to make you far happier than simply having a lot of land, a big house, a fancy car, a lot of money in the bank account, going on vacations to exotic places, uh, all those things that could be purchased by money, or official high social status. Is, that doesn't mean much if you aren't happy with your family, for example. Um, and if you are not somebody who uh, has a strong sense of virtue, then those things do not matter, uh, so, uh, such as money, uh, status, wealth. And certainly you don't want to spend too much time becoming uh, a servant to things. You don't, the petty man is a servant to things. Don't forget about that. And so if you have these cultivated intentions, then you will become a virtuous person. As Shunzu said way at the beginning of chapter one, at the beginning of this text, if you do not climb a mountain, you'll not know how high the heavens are. And if you never do visit a deep ravine, you will not know the depths of the earth. So 
why do we pursue Ren, Yi, Li through the Tao? Why do we pursue these things? Why do we pursue harmony um, and so forth? These non-tangible, invisible goods. It is because they are truly that wonderful and joyous and fulfilling. But most people, because they are born ignorant, they'd rather go for the things they can touch and see. They think that is what makes them happy, but it's not. It, it pales in comparison. So you have to keep cultivating your wisdom. You have to keep working on yourself. Then you'll find what truly makes you happy, makes you joyful. And then you will understand that. So continue cultivating yourself. Continue studying. Continue listening. Continue, continue to cultivate yourself and build yourself into a more virtuous person.